0: People who want to listen. <laughs> have you ever tried to talk to someone who didn't want to listen to you? Yes. I'm uh, no, Not talking about your spouse. Just. I'm, I'm, <laughs> oh. I, no, no. I'm sure that's never happened. It's never happened with your spouse, right? It's uh, it's just somebody, somebody out there. if um, you ever had one of those conversations? It is such a painful conversation, isn't it? When you want to talk to somebody, but they do not want to listen to you, and you know it's the other way around too. Sometimes when you have people who want to talk to you, but you really don't want to listen. And you know that kind of fakeness that comes in your face as you're, yeah. you're nodding? Yeah, and you're, you're really, very interesting. Uh, it's a really painful thing. And in, in the Christian life, as we try and bring the good news of Jesus to people, it is painful if we find ourselves banging our heads against, well, I'm mixing my metaphors here, but banging our heads against the people who don't want to listen. If you see what I mean, right? And then if you bang your head long enough against enough people who don't want to listen, you get the feeling no one wants to listen. No one wants to hear the good news of the gospel. And that's one of the challenges that you and I face. Is do we really believe that there are people who want to listen? And then how do we find them? So I've got some three three things to share with us. A couple of things to share with us today from... This what happens in the book of Acts that I hope will be uh, helpful. Uh, as we find um, everybody, as we find uh, Paul and Barnabas on the Holy Spirit's mission, effectively. And of course, what will be useful for me at this time <coughs> is my Bible. So let's turn to Acts 13. Let's read our passage and uh, see what God reveals to us this morning. Acts 13. And we will pick it up in verse 3 there. After they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Of course, it was, this was the Holy Spirit who designated Paul and Barnabas to go uh, off on this journey. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they had arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. They travelled to the whole island until they came to Paphos. There, they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. There's someone who wants to listen. But Elimas, the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped around, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, (coughs) he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord." What an interesting passage! What an interesting passage! So, what's going on here? Well, let's let's set the scene a little bit uh, from what we're what we're looking at here. Uh, so, where are we? Well, we've got Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas in Antioch up here, praying and fasting with the group. They've been sent off to Cyprus, this island. How many of us have been to Cyprus? Been to Cyprus? One, two, three. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I was there about thirty-five years ago. I think it was something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, it's a very nice place, nice and hot. Nine years ago you beat me, Barry? Somewhere in the 80s, I can't remember Back in the 80s, <laughs> you and me both were there in the 80s at some point, okay. You're more recent. It's a lovely place. It, it's about half the size of Wales. <clears throat> and That gives you an idea <clears throat> of its land mass. It's the third largest island in the Mediterranean, famous in his day at that time for copper mining. So if you needed your copper, that's where you got it from. Um, some of you might. Uh, know, so they sail to Salamis there on the um, east coast. There was known to be a large Jewish population there, and they end up in Paphos on the opposite side of the island. After they have, according to this passage, gone through the whole island. Some of you might know Dylan Matthias. Anybody know Dylan? You don't know him? You know Dylan? Huh? He's in the UK now. Yeah, he's in Leicester, that's right, yeah. He's in the church in Leicester these days, but he used to be on Cyprus for many, many years. He was out there and he led the church there for a long time. Um, So when I looked at this passage, I I contacted him and said, Dylas, you've lived on Cyprus, do you have any insights about this passage and what's going on there? Uh, That's that's actually him pretending to be preaching in Salamis. Uh, He's standing on an ancient ruin there pretending to preach uh where in that place where paul and barnabas first landed when he went over from antioch so i asked him about that and so uh he shared a few things with me so you've got for example what we know about barnabas is one of the things we know is that uh he was from cyprus he's joseph but he's called barnabas so that, he's actually he's gone back to his hometown or at least his his home island anyway um, we also know that according to acts 11 those were scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus, amongst other places. So the early dispersion of Christianity, part of it went to, specifically to Cyprus. And then we know that also in verse 20 in the same chapter, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch. So the church in Antioch, where Barnabas and Paul have come from, was founded by people from Cyprus. Wow. So there's a connection between these two churches, or two two groups of people. We don't know the state of the churches, if there were churches still on Cyprus at this point, but we do know that there had been Christians there, and some of them had gone to Antioch to start the church there, and that's where Paul and Barnabas are now coming back from. Very strong tradition, which seems to have reasonable attestation, says that Barnabas was from Salamis. So maybe he's, he's gone back to, to Salamis as the first port of call because that's where he grew up, uh, since he is from Cyprus. Um, Dylan says um, I've often, I've always joked that their first missionary stop was to his mother's to do their laundry and taste mum's cooking <laughs> before planning their next serious business so uh, who knows you know maybe he, maybe that's what he did he went there and said hey mum can you wash my clothes and i'm off to preach in the synagogue, and uh, i'll be back later for dinner oh i've got my mate Saul with me by the way um, so who, who knows exactly but uh, there's a strong connection for barnabas with this place and and also john mark because john mark is traveling with them as the helper and what do we know about john mark yeah his connection with barnabas He was his cousin. They were cousins. Uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 10 says they were cousins. And although John Mark's family lived in Jerusalem, it may well be that John Mark himself is from Cyprus as well. So maybe he's going home as well to Cyprus. So we've got quite a few interesting connections here in this passage as they go back home. And I rather like the thought that um, they're going, or at least Barnabas and John, perhaps, are going back to a place they knew well. I think it's good because I often feel like A new field for evangelism and outreach is going to be more open to the gospel than what I've been before, or at home. Maybe that's not the case. So three things I see in this passage. Let's see what we think. Firstly, if we're going to find people who want to listen, we need to be active in the mission. Now maybe this is kind of obvious, but we do need to be actually active in the Spirit's mission. Mm -hmm. It's the Spirit's mission. right? The Spirit has sent them out. The Spirit has sent them to Cyprus. And we see the Spirit involved in their ministry uh, right here with what Paul does. So um, it's the Spirit's mission, and it reminds me that our mission is not our mission in some ways. Mm. We're adopting the Spirit's mission as ours. We're adopting the Spirit's mission or participating in the Spirit's mission. Where you and I go, where you and I set our foot, where you and I have the opportunity to speak to people about the Gospel, we've been sent by the Spirit. Maybe not as directly as they were sent to Cyprus, but nonetheless, it's the same principle, isn't it? Because Jesus said, I am with you always, to the very end of the age. When he told his apostles in Acts 28, "You must go and make disciples, I am with you. And the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is living in a Christian. We are being sent by the Spirit. It's his mission. It's a partnership too. I I see in the Spirit-filled mission that uh, Barnabas isn't on his own, Paul is not on his own, John Mark is not on his own, at least three of them, maybe there were others accompanying them, we don't know, but at least the three of them were on a mission together, and I think this is significant, that, that we work in the mission together, something about having somebody with you in the mission that, that gives you greater confidence and helps you to speak with more boldness, I don't know if it should be that way, but it's just it is, isn't it? Uh, When I'm uh, sitting with someone in a restaurant and I'm with somebody, I find myself more likely to talk to the waitress or somebody about uh, whether they might come to church than if I'm on my own. Perhaps it shouldn't be that way. But the reality is there's something about sharing in this mission, in a partnership. I'd encourage us to be finding ways to be uh, sharing about the gospel together with other Christians with people, just finding ways to be in partnership. Most of us being married, that's a natural partnership, but it doesn't have to be just a spouse, right? It can be somebody else who's a friend here. Um, there's a partnership going on. Uh, they have poor, they have John Mark with them, who's described as their helper. I don't quite know what that means exactly, or um, I, I don't know how you feel about just being a helper, but. Uh, that nonetheless they needed a helper and I need helpers and you need helpers we all need helpers to support us at times and perhaps one of the reasons we don't find as many people who are willing to listen is just because we don't have that help with us to support us like they did mm. then they went on and proclaimed they proclaimed the uh, what's the phrase here they go up there and they proclaimed the Word of God in the Jewish synagogue so that they're proclaiming it as in words, that we have different ways of proclaiming the gospel. One is by words and one is by our lives. And, you know, we most of us have lived where we live for a little while. And so we've got the opportunity to share our words, but we've also got the opportunity to share by our lives, by the way that we live. And that's powerful. Whether it's school friends, uh, whether it's parents at the schools where our children go, whether it's our neighbors next door, down the street, around the corner, Local associations that we're involved in, like Penny and I have connections with the Friends of Cassabrie Park. And so I really pray that somebody in, Cass- in the Friends of Cassabrie Park will be open to listening about the gospel. And I'm glad that Penny and I are both involved there because it's, it's a partnership thing uh, there. Um, where are we going? Where's the, where's the place where God has called you to be active in, in this mission? Where is it? Going, speaking, old places, new places, wherever that might be. But that's what I think, what's one of the reasons I think they find someone who's willing to listen is that they're simply active. They're simply active. They're not not doing anything complicated. It's just active. The second thing I see in this passage, in terms of how do we find people who are willing to listen, is that, well, part of it is, I think, simply trusting. Trusting that God will connect us. With people who want to hear the word because this is the thing is god doesn't always do things weeks ex- in the way we we expect him to and i don't think this mission played out in perhaps an exactly a particular way that paul and barnabas might have anticipated they go back to cyprus they preach in salamis and then they go to the whole island and they get to uh, to papos and then they meet of all people a jewish sorcerer now of course if you know your old testament i mean a Jewish sorcerer is one of those people who should have been stoned to death. So I'm not sure they were still doing stonings in the first century. They may not have. But a Jewish sorcerer is not exactly the source through which, thank you, you might, <laughs> you might think that God would bring someone who wanted to listen to the gospel to Paul and Barnabas. But it's a Jewish sorcerer and a false prophet. I mean, that's not you would think that's not the right way, God. That's not the right person to be spending time with. A false prophet and a sorcerer called uh, Bar Jesus, of course, meaning son or um, meaning son of, Bar means son of, Bar Jesus, son of Joshua in, 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 uh, in Hebrew, um, which of course Jesus' name is a variant of Joshua. So it's actually, in a way, Bar Jesus. Bar Joshua, uh, they've got, they got a little interesting irony or play on names there with, with this chap. Um, but he's he's the one that god chooses to use to connect them with the person who actually does want to listen Mm -hmm. how bizarre Mm -hmm. you know eventually they get connected with sergius paulus which we'll talk about in a minute but they weren't looking for him specifically they weren't looking for anybody specifically they were just going through the island talking to people and then they meet this chap. the fruit that comes is not always (coughs) Through the method we expect or through the people we expect. I don't know how you uh, came to know about God, how you became a Christian, but it might might not have been through the person you expected. Many of us have stories of it being a really strange way that God reached out to us and touched our lives. We shouldn't try to over-anticipate how God will bring the fruit or overthink it. God has his way. He will do it. It's said that, I heard recently, that every person in this world, pretty much, is connected in some way or another to a thousand people. And you think, no, 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 I don't know a thousand people. Well, but you're connected. So just think for a minute, even in Becky's situation, how many pupils are at the school, how many teachers are at the school, how many ancillary staff, from cleaners to people are at this school, at your workplace, how many people are connected to you. Mm-hmm. Then think about your immediate neighbours, perhaps the people mm-hmm. on your street. Then think about your friends that you've known for many years, some in church, some elsewhere. Then think about, so perhaps if you've got children at school, all the parents of children at the school that they go to. Mm-hmm. Then think about your extended family. If you start to think about it, you might not be able to write down the name of a thousand people, names of a thousand people. Um, if you're like me, you've got more than a thousand friends on Facebook, <laughs> um, but you may not know all the names, but you, you are connected to more people than you think. Now, if every one of those people is connected to another thousand people, you're only a step away from being connected to a million people. Mm. Yeah. Right? Mm. So we know a lot of people, or we should say we are potentially connected with a lot of people. And sometimes I get the feeling oh, I only know half a dozen people really. I don't know my... how many neighbors do I know? Well, only two or three, but, but how many do they know? Mm-hmm. I mean, we connected with more people than we, realize. we have a We have a vast harvest field available. But maybe we don't realize that... Well, maybe God will connect us with somebody as long as we're active in the mission and maybe not Maybe God will not do it for the people we expect, but that's okay. If we, if we keep, if we remain active, well, can't we just trust that God will guide us to the right person? We're connected to a lot of people. Let's make the most of it. So we see those two things, and then uh, finally, in uh, in here, what I see is that we need to take the opportunities when they come for God to display His power. So as we go on in the story, what we find is that they. Um, the, the proconsul sends for Barnabas and Saul because he wants to hear about the word of God. So I don't know exactly what Bar-Jesus has told the proconsul, but there's something there that has piqued his, uh, uh, his curiosity. And he says, come on, I need to have a, a chat with you. And then they go there, but Elimas opposes them and tries to turn the proconsul from the faith how do you feel when someone you are trying to help become a christian or trying to help become at least interested in christianity has somebody else in their ears saying, don't go to church don't listen to that person don't open the bible i mean it's really annoying isn't it (laughs) i mean you want to have a good word with that person you want to get them out of the way because you think this this person will listen Mm. but do we get too worried about that because god can sort it out right and so um a little bit of humor in here as well as some <clears throat> i don't know what it is but uh saul also called paul filled with the holy spirit looks straight at him mean, he eyeballs the guy right between the eyes and he says you are a child of the devil you're not a child of jesus or a child of joshua you're a child of the devil
1: mm.
0: an enemy of everything that's right in other words he's opposing god will you never stop implies that he's been consistently uh, working against, not perhaps even just Jesus, but against God. This someone with a pattern of negativity towards God. Perverting the right ways of the Lord. Deceit and trickery. You're going to be blind for a while. This mist descends, this darkness descends over him. It must have been terrifying for him and quite startling for everybody else that was there. A couple of things about this. Firstly, it's not Paul taking it personally. This is God's work. He's filled with the Spirit. It's the Spirit that directs this work that Paul does. It's not, Paul's getting really ticked. He's like, <laughs> right you, you're out of here. He's not, he's, I, take, I take opposition personally. I mean, I feel it personally, right? But It's not really against me or against you. It's really against God.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we need to let God do his thing um, rather than take everything into our own hands. So, Paul doesn't take it personally, but he is spirit-filled. He's not acting on his own initiative. He's moved by the Holy Spirit. He's inspired by the Spirit here. And uh, we also see that it's for a time. Isn't that the mercy of God? This will happen to you. You'll be blind for a time. So that implies that after a while, his sight comes back. Now, one would hope that might mean that he would repent. That's what happened to Saul himself. He was made blind for a time. And then he was able to see... It's the same thing. Isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Coincidence. Well, maybe. See, maybe God is trying to do with this guy what he did with Saul. God's merciful, even though he's opposing him. And let's face it, Saul was opposing (laughs) God majorly, right? So that gives us hope for the people who are currently in opposition to our faith. It's also Paul using something that
1: helped him. Yeah. You know, sometimes that's what we do. Yeah. Let's use our own experiences to help
0: in our Can you imagine if they'd had a, com- I mean, we don't know, but if they have a conversation after this, and he's like, Ellen, what did you feel? What did you see? What did you... Yeah, I think I know that feeling. Let me tell you. Yeah. And, and very powerful. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to wrap up in a minute, but I want to get any other comments, questions or thoughts on this passage. What strikes you here? What do you see? What what intrigues you? What questions do you have? What, what do you notice? What's relevant to your life? Let's just take a moment to think and then comment uh, before we finish off here. What stands out to you? What do you notice? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit? He's always there and you don't realise. Don't always recognise him at work, but he is at work. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. Anything else? What do we see? Yes. Oh
1: to mention something that happened to me. I mean in regard to Holy Spirit's driven mm-hmm. situation. Uh, uh, as I grew as a Christian I realized the strength that some of my words can have. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was scared in the first place. But then I took some courage to say well actually if I want to show my care for this person which I really want to become a Christian. I don't need to refrain from that. Mm-hmm. Because they need to know, they need to find out, they they need to experience something different. Something and not different. to yes. play around or to say, uh whatever, you know that that people might say can be. So I started to enjoy that. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And
1: not to be afraid to speak spiritually. Okay people
0: need to hear the need to hear we need to, you know when we share our faith we need to do it with gentleness and respect as it says in peter but nonetheless, so. we need to be bold mm-hmm. okay thank you good anything else uh simon yeah this guy um Paulus, uh, sergio Paulus. us um it's very open isn't he you know, very, you know <laughs> he actually calls for them you know and he wanted to, yeah. this want is what paul had to say yeah. and he ends up believing right he believed, and because in the biblical, in biblical context, believed doesn't mean he just intellectually thought, oh yeah, Jesus must be a good guy. Yes. The, the word believed in the Bible means he, he took on everything to do with Jesus at this point and followed as a disciple. So, yes. yeah, big shift in his life, especially as a, a, in his role. Yes. Um, there is evidence, archaeological evidence, that um, there was a Sergius Paulus at Pisidian Antioch, which is the place where Paul and Barnabas go next. We haven't got there yet, but they go next there. That's where they go next. And there, there is a stone that's been discovered with this name on. And uh, they're not certain it's the same guy. But it is possible because it's from around the same period. And it may be that um, Sergius Paulus directed Paul of Barnabas to go there because that was his hometown, where he was from. And he says, look, I'll sponsor you because this would have been a wealthy guy and well-connected. So maybe he sponsored them to go back to his hometown and start a church in Pisidian... Antioch, which is rather interesting. And it also is interesting that he changed Saul's name changes officially, if you like, from Saul to Paul here, because now he's fully engaging in the Gentile mission. And so the more Gentile or well, the less Jewish name of Paul, the non- Paul wasn't really a Jewish name, taking Paul instead sort of Saul would have made him perhaps a little more accessible for your Gentile audience. So this is interesting, couple of background things maybe going on also here. Um, Last thought, and then then we're finished. How do we we take the opportunities for God to display his power? Well, firstly, partly it's about boldness, like you said. God will display his power in changing people's hearts that we can't change, but he can change if we're bold. We share our faith, we share scripture, we share our testimony, our story. Partly also, I believe, it's about prayer. Isn't it about prayer, praying for people? Maybe praying, even offering to pray with people and say, look, I know you may not have much faith right now, but can we pray together? And can I pray for you? There's great power in prayer. We don't understand it. I don't think we ever will, the sign of glory, but there's great power in prayer, and Jesus urges us to pray. And we see them praying and fasting here, and earlier in Acts chapter 13. So there's something about praying and being with people and even listening to people and bringing the Spirit into a relationship and see what God does. We have no idea what God will do and can do if we take these steps. Um, Paul and Barnabas, they are, as we said, um, active in the Spirit's mission. They trust God to connect them with whoever God wants to bring them to, so that someone who wants to hear the Word. They take the opportunities that God provides to display His power. And the thing I just want to leave us with this thought with is this, that they simply trust it. That they were sent by God. It was settled in their hearts and minds. I and we are people sent by God. We don't have to prove ourselves, it's not a self-worth thing, which I thank you for what you shared earlier Becky. It's not about that, they just trusted that they were sent by God and that he would do as he wanted, in the way in which he wanted, at the time he wanted, with who he wanted. God would sort out the detail. They just decided they would be active in the mission, They would trust God to connect them with people who wanted to hear and they'd take the opportunities for God to display his power. Surely if we do those things, we will find more people who really want to listen. Amen. Amen.